Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness, for your presence with us. And we just ask that, uh, Lord, the, this morning, that we would just receive greater insight into your ways and your person and your plans for 2020. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as I look around, most of you haven't been in church since last year. So uh, there, there are certain times and certain seasons in God. And 2020 is, is really a, a year of significance because it is the finish of a lot of people's dreams and plans and visions and it's the starting of something, something fresh. Most organizations at the beginning of the century set about developing a 2020 vision. It was quite a sort of a catchphrase. And basically, it was a 20-year plan of what they wanted to achieve by the year 2020. Most organizations failed because they didn't have extraordinary insight and they didn't realize what could be achieved. Uh, over the last 20 years, there's been a absolute proliferation of uh, things like Wi-Fi and smartphones, for instance, that have changed the way that most people and businesses do life. How many people here have got a smartphone? Hand up. Yeah, just, just most, most people have. It's just, just a normal thing. When I worked for New Zealand Dairy, we had a whole room filled with computers. I have more computing power on my iPhone than we had in that whole room. In fact, there's more computing power on this iPhone than NASA had when they put a man on the moon. That's how technology has changed. But despite the influence of technology, the most popular New Year's resolutions for 2020 are still really basic. All right, before you put them up, what do you reckon? Ah, oh, before you put them up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the number one resolution for 2020 is still lose weight. All right, you can shove them up now. Yep. Improve fitness, exercise, get a new job, eat healthier, manage stress better. Those are still all the basic ones. And while they don't involve technology, I am told there is an app for every one of those to help you. We often think of a 2020 vision as being absolutely uh, sharp, absolutely top of the line. But the reality is, optically, a 2020 vision is not extraordinary vision at all. It's just ordinary vision. It's being able to see what a normal person sees at 20 feet. So if you had 2030 vision, it would mean that what a normal person sees at 20 feet, uh, at 20 feet you would see at 30 feet, and so on. And so normal vision and logical insight, when you think about it, has really just failed over the centuries. People always get their predictions wrong. Okay, you go back to 1800s. Rail travel at high speed is not possible because passengers will be unable to breathe and will die of asphyxia. All right, so Penny and I, went on the maglev uh, train in Shanghai, which is the fastest train in the world. We travelled at 305 kilometres per hour. And that was 
it going slow. It has a top speed, they tell me, of 450 kilometres per hour. So uh, that professor of natural philosophy and astronomy in the University College of London got it wrong. 1876, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The light bulb, everyone acquainted with the subject will recognise it is as conspicuous, it is a conspicuous failure. Uh, 1902, flight by machines heavier than air is unpractical and insignificant, if not utterly impossible. <coughs> the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. That was the statement from the president of the Michigan Savings Bank advising Henry Ford's lawyer not to invest in the Ford Motor Company. How many would have liked to have got in on the Ford Motor Company at ground zero and invested in that? All right, 1921, the wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to no one in particular? <laughs> 1946, television won't last because people will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. <laughs> 1977, there is no... 1977... 1977, there is no reason for any individual to have a computer in his home. 1995, the truth is no online database will replace your daily newspaper. And while we laugh at those, I guarantee that every one of you have used your site and come to a conclusion which is absolutely dead wrong. Isn't that true? 1990, uh, Penny and I took our family to Chile uh, where we pastored the Union Church in Vena del Mar for three and a half months. So the very first day that we arrived there, um, the church manse was up on top of the hill that uh, you Chileans will know. It's, um, the hill is where the president has a summer palace. There's only one road up to the hill and there's only one road down from the hill. So I thought I would get some practice in driving uh, because they drive on the right side of the road in Chile. And so first day we're there, jump in the, um, the car and I decided to wait till it was really quiet before venturing down the hill. So we waited till six o'clock in the evening. <laughs> Isaac's laughing already. And we go down the hill and there's no way back and we run into peak hour traffic, six o'clock in the evening. They're driving on the wrong side of the road. I didn't have a clue where I was going. There was pointsmen point, parting, uh, pointing to go this way, so I just went with the flow. We ended up heading down to Valparaiso. I drove over the footpath. I drove the wrong way um, down one-way streets. My kids were so embarrassed that they were hiding down behind the front seat lest anyone would see them in this idiotic car. We eventually, after about an hour and a half, made our way back. That was the last time I drove at 6 o'clock in the evening in Chile. But we all make mistakes because vision is not just seeing. There's more to it. And today I want to really talk about beyond a 2020 vision. Uh, in October, most of you know that uh, when Penny and I uh, after we ministered uh, with the Steiger team in Germany, in Germany, we took a bus trip from Rome through to Paris. 
And one of the things that we really, really appreciated on this trip was the local experts that guided us through and explained what we were actually seeing. They gave us all the background. They gave us the insight that we didn't have by just looking at uh, a particular situation or circumstances. When we visited the Vatican, when we visited the Sistine Chapel, for instance, they, they said to us, hey, look up at the top right and look for a shaded area of black in Michelangelo's ceiling. That is the area that the restorers have left unrestored so people can see the difference between what it used to look like and what it looks like now. And of course, we were able to do that. And while we may have been seeing the same things, they saw much deeper, uh, far further, and with much greater understanding in every situation and circumstance. We had sight, but they had insight. Uh, We saw, but these guides, they perceived. The danger of seeing um, what is superficial and overlooking what is really important is frequently referred to in the Bible. At least six times in the New Testament, uh, it refers to a solemn warning from the book of Isaiah, which says, Go tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. And it's repeated time and time again because people saw Jesus, the man, but they didn't perceive or understood who he was. They heard him preaching but they didn't understand what he was preaching of. Uh, They missed the point. It says about Jerusalem that they missed the day of their visitation. One of the characteristics of our age is superficiality. The dangerous refusal to perceive what is really there beyond or underneath the surface. Normal superficial vision is not what God wants to give us. He wants to give us extraordinary, Holy Spirit-inspired vision because God knows the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen next week. He sees what's happened in the past. He knows what's coming up this year and this decade, and he wants to guide you through life. With that in mind, I want to just share three important areas where we need insight and we need a spark from the Holy Spirit to receive that truth, not just in our head, but in our heart. We need to have God's extraordinary vision. And first of all, we need to have vision and insight to recognize that we are valued, not valueless. There are various popular ways of looking at human beings. But a common factor is that in them, we come out as being utterly insignificant. Some see us as nothing more than the dominant species thrown up by the great lottery of evolution. Others consider that we are nothing more than consumers whose significance is simply the role we play in the economy. Still others see us as nothing more than the electorate who need to be persuaded into supporting a particular political party. And of course, if even the best of us 
have only a small value, then the little people, the young, the old, the poor, the sick, have even less value. And so terminating the unborn or the sick or the old as a matter of convenience makes sense to these people. Because behind these views are the gloomy philosophies that all existence is utterly meaningless and that humanity is just a brief bubble of consciousness that will soon vanish vanish into the silence of a vast, uncaring universe. But we Christians who know God and His heart beg to differ. When we look below the surface, we see us as God sees us. Every one of us, the Bible declares, is wonderfully made in God's image and as such is of infinite value. Yes, our rebellion against God has damaged and disguised our glorious status, but we remain loved by God. God values us so much that to bring us back to himself, he came in Jesus to live and die as one of us. We have value because Jesus died for us. Uh, Jesus says we are precious. We're the head, not the tail. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We are the apple of his eye. We are his masterpiece. Actually, while Penny and I uh, were in Paris, we went to the Louvre and we visited the most, one of the most famous paintings in the world, Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Uh, I looked it up on Google and they tell me that it's insured for about 830 million US dollars. What gives a masterpiece its value? Well, it's not its size because, for instance, the Mona Lisa is only about this by that. It's not a big painting at all. It's not its canvas because the canvas that that's painted on would be less than $10 worth. It's not even the subject. She's not the most pretty woman that I've ever seen. (laughs) Not my type. But the fact is that it's got value because it was created, it was painted by a master. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship. The the Greek word for workmanship there is poema, which literally means masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Fort Knox in the United States is a pretty bland-looking building, but it's a building of immense worth, not because of its architectural style, but because of what it's got within it. Fort Knox holds the gold reserve for the whole of the United States. It's what's in Fort Knox that causes it to have value. And we have the Holy Spirit within us. We are immeasurably valuable in God's eyes, and he is the only one with perfect insight. We have value because we are loved by God, as Rosie preached so well last week. Paul's prayer 
to the Ephesians is that we would have vision, insight to know that love. Because when we know that we have value and we are loved, we live life differently. So this morning, 2020 insight, vision, will resonate within you and you, are, you will know that you are valued. Secondly, we need to have vision and insight that we are hopeful and not hopeless. Uh, the near universal view of our time is that this life is all there is. When our pulse stops, when the ECG monitor shows a flat line, and definitely when the crematorium swallows our coffin, then it's assumed that it's the end of our story, and whatever hopes and dreams and longings and memories that were once ours, they vanish beyond recovery. But God gives us a defiantly different picture. The Bible promises us that death is not the end, but that we all live on beyond it to stand before God. There, if we have handed our lives over to Jesus Christ and through him been reconciled to God, we will be welcomed into a joyous eternity, the promise of an unending future glory for those who have come to Christ transforms the way that we live life now. This life may claim to be everything, but with vision, we now realize that it is nothing more than a brief, vital prelude to the real thing. Far from being the end of the story, for those who know Christ, it's just the beginning. However dark our days, however however difficult our lives, to know Christ is to know help for today and hope for tomorrow. We are not hopeless, but we have hope because God is the God of hope. I was talking to someone at um, the wedding yesterday of uh, Emily and Dan, and they asked me, do you enjoy uh, doing weddings? And uh, I said, yeah, I, I do enjoy doing weddings. I enjoy doing funerals as well because funerals, generally, the funerals that I do, uh, the celebrations of life. Uh, and I also said, but the saddest thing I have to do is the funeral of a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ. They are the most hopeless situations that a minister finds himself confronted with. Time and time again, as I've sat with Christians who are about to pass into eternity, I've enjoyed being absolutely blessed by their hope-filled, positive insight into the future. And if you've ever been with a Christian who's died, when the doors to heaven open, there is a spark that comes and you can sense the presence of God. 
filling the room. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of hope. It's actually who he is. It's his nature to be a God of hope. And he wants to pour that into you so that you will have joy, so that you will have peace, so that you will have hope, not just an optimism, but a hope that comes directly from heaven, which is given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we will be able to live in that hope, seeing life as God sees it. And finally, we should all have the vision and the insight that we should be purposeful and not purposeless. I was playing golf with a guy that I had never played golf with uh, the other day, and uh, we were talking, and (laughs) after we'd both done pretty awful shots, (laughs) we turned to each other and said, there's got to be more in life than golf. But the reality is I see a lot of my friends who spend three days a week, which is three mornings a week, playing golf. And I think, while that would be nice for two weeks on end, what about two years or two decades? And I think, what a waste of God-given time. God has got a plan and a purpose for our life, which is bigger than a game of golf. The current mood that life is meaningless casts its chilly shadow over all people. If, as is claimed, life is ultimately purposeless, then why not just go with the flow? Why not just hope that whatever the river of life carries you, it won't hurt too much? Yet, as with everything else, to perceive our lives, to see our lives from God's perspective changes that view. Uh, There is meaning in the world, and that gives us purpose. What we do counts, and counts for eternity. The most precious thing we have, people, is time. We can never get it back. To become a believer in Christ is not simply to be given the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card for endless ages. It's to be given a new spiritual passport, to be offered citizenship and an eternal kingdom, to be gifted with the Holy Spirit and to acquire a new identity as a child of God. With those tremendous privileges comes the greatest of challenges. We must use what we have been given. On the, di- on the diary of our life, we've been given blank pages, and it should be our intention to fill those pages with things that we have done for God and His kingdom that will count for eternity. To be saved by Christ carries with it the obligation to live for Christ. We have purpose. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. There are four words there that have been spoken over your life and over my life. He has saved us. He has called us. He has purposed us. 
and he has graced us. And so sandwiched between God's salvation and God's grace is calling and purpose. Between God's salvation and grace is what you have in your hand and what you have in your heart. He has called us and purposed us with his plan in mind. It's about his plans. And he says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil, or as this version says, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The problem is, so many people are drifting through life and they haven't taken the time to ask God what his plan is for their life. But he goes on and he says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, declares the Lord. If you want to grow in insight, if you want to recognize your value, if you want to grow in hope and knowledge of the plans and the purposes of God for your life, then commit yourself to giving God the opportunity to speak to you by reading his word, by seeking his face, by praying, because he loves you and he wants to encourage you. And as Jeremiah 33, 3 says, he wants to show you and give you insight into great and mighty things that you don't know anything about. When you seek his face, then the God of the plans will share his heart with you and will share his plans and his purpose. He wants to give you vision and insight about the struggles you have been in. He wants to give you forgiveness. He wants to give you vision and insight and help and comfort for today. And he wants to give you vision and insight and hope for tomorrow. You know, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, well, what's the greatest barrier to receiving God's plans? What's the greatest barrier for Christians to walking into the destiny that God has for them. And there are a lot of things that uh, can thwart the plans and the purposes of God for your life. I mean, just laziness, not seeking God's face, not reading the Word of God, not praying are all things that will stifle the plans and purposes of God for your life. But the one thing that I've seen over the years The greatest barrier, I think, the greatest blocker for Christians is actually unforgiveness. More Christians miss God's plans for their life because they have harbored unforgiveness in their heart. Jesus said, offenses are going to come. So don't let others rob you of your destiny. The Apostle Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. One thing I do at the start of 2020, I want to encourage you, one, to let go of those hurts. Let go of those things that people have done to you which are stopping you from walking into the plans and the purposes that God has for your life. Secondly, determine to seek his face. Secondly, determine 
to get to know the God of the plans. Because then you'll get to know God's plans in situations and and circumstances. Pray. Read his word. Ask for more insight and take every opportunity to receive more than a 2020 ordinary vision for your life. Get Holy Spirit inspired insight for your life. Learn to place your heart in God's hands so that he can guide you and lead you. Let's have the musicians, please. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs is the heart of a king. It's like rivers of water in the hands of the Lord. He can turn it this way and that. And if you keep your heart in God's hands, he can turn it. He can cause an 180 degree change in the direction of your life as you keep your life in his hands. Amen.